Live from Gross Point, Michigan, it's time for the number one radio show in the private service industry, where private service professionals can discuss topics that pertain to their industry. And now, here is your host, DEMA National President, Matthew Hack. Hello, welcome back to another edition of DEMA Live. DEMA Live is a radio show for the private service industry. The purpose of the show is to bring together private service professionals, vendors, principals, and agencies to discuss topics of interest to the high net worth service industry. DEMA Live is produced by the Domestic Estate Managers Association, which is a professional trade association intended to serve those that serve others. You can find our website at www.domesticmanagers.com. If you're listening to the show on the live today on Blog Talk website, you can log in to Blog Talk Live chat service where you can live chat comments with other listeners and submit questions online. During the show, you can also text questions to 313-404-3998. Once again, that number for texting in questions is 313-404-3998. If you can't catch our show live on Wednesdays at noon Eastern Standard Time, or if you'd like to listen to a previous episode, the show is available as a podcast on blogtalkradio.com and iTunes. If you're listening to the podcast and would like to replay of the show, you can leave comments in the comments box at the bottom of the page. My name is Matthew Hack, and I'm the president of the Domestic Estate Management Association, and I'll be your host today. I'm joined by my special co-host, DJ Haverkamp a private service professional based in the New York area. On today's show, DJ and I will be joined by Ms. Rachel Kurth. Rachel is an employment attorney at Chadburn & Park. Chadburn & Park is an international law firm with 11 offices worldwide. Today on the show, we'll be discussing some of the aspects of employment and employee benefits law as they pertain to the private service industry. Rachel will also be speaking at this year's management conference in New York City, next Saturday, April the 23rd. With that being said, DJ, let me start by welcoming you to the show. Is there anything newsworthy on the private service front this week? Hi, Matt. Great to be with you again today. I wanted to just relay uh, an interesting, fun thing that happened over the last week. I was actually on my Facebook uh, news feed, and lo and behold, what would pop up but a like from our dear friend Chris West, and it was a uh, our DEMA live show that we did last week with Gary. And I just thought it was so much fun that he had uh, liked that on Facebook and that it was uh, getting some attention from Chris. So Chris is a really good friend of ours. He was uh, a state manager here in Greenwich, Connecticut for a while and has now moved out to San Francisco. But I think it just really reflects how that uh, the DEMA family is kind of a a national family. And it was just so fun to to see that pop up. And if Chris is listening, uh, shout out to Chris. Well, and Chris is also our chapter president in San Francisco, so he's got uh, he's got all he's got his hands full uh, with all kinds of DEMA stuff going on. So, absolutely wanted to thank Chris for that uh, for sure. Well, let's go ahead and introduce our guest, Rachel Kurt. Rachel is an employment attorney with a particular expertise representing employers of domestic workers. Rachel, welcome to the show today. Thank you so much for having me. It's really great to be here. 
Well, we're excited to have you here. I think this is going to be an outstanding topic. Obviously, uh, when we did a, a survey, industry survey, regarding the issue that estate managers and those working in private service are interested in, the responses regarding that information related to the area of employee and human resource management is always near the top of that list. For that reason, we thought it'd be great to invite you in to talk um, with us a little bit on this topic, in addition to uh, having you show up at our, our management conference uh, this this upcoming uh, Saturday, well, not this coming Saturday, but the following Saturday in New York City. Um, so we also wanted to, uh, we know the value and importance of managing um, the employer-employee relationship uh, very well. Obviously, DJ knows it um, from a private service standpoint, and I know it from a, a principal standpoint in dealing with a lot of the principals that we talk with as well. We're also very aware of uh, the potential repercussions if it's not handled properly. Um, with that said, we also have a lot of industry service providers that are vendor members within our organization that I think will find this topic of interest for their business as well. It's a huge topic, and we won't be able to cover everything in a 45-minute discussion, but I figured that we'd try to give it a shot today and uh, and let our audience uh, hear a little bit about employee management and, uh, and and learn something from uh, drawing on your background working as an employment law expert. That sounds great. I'd be happy to give a general overview. All right. Sounds good. Well, let's start with a scenario. Uh, one of our members has been Take it, has, has taken a position acting as an estate manager for a family with homes in multiple locations. Our member is just getting familiar with the current state of affairs with their new employer. What general categories or areas would you suggest that they be looking at? So to begin with, you need to know where the family has employees and become familiar with the rules for each of those areas. So, for example, if the estate manager is now in charge of a staff that includes employees working in, say, New York City, the Hamptons, Palm Springs, and Miami, there's going to be different employment laws and rules that apply to the employees working in each location. And an employer needs to comply with the federal, state, and the local laws, such as any city and county laws that apply to them. And if there's differences between the applicable laws, the laws that are more protective of employees will generally apply. So I'll give you an example. I'll start with a very basic one. The federal minimum wage is $7.25 an hour right now, but states and localities may impose higher minimum wages. I'm in New York, so I'll talk about New York for a second. In New York, the minimum wage is currently $9 an hour. And Governor Cuomo recently signed legislation that will eventually increase the New York state minimum wage to $15 an hour, with increases gradually phased in at different rates. And it's actually going to increase more quickly for New York City and then for Nassau, Suffolk, and Westchester counties than it will for the rest of New York State. So you just have to be aware that employers in states or localities with higher minimum wages have to pay the higher minimum wage to their employees in those locations. And so you can see from that example that the federal law sets a minimum, but then you also have to comply with any additional requirements that are imposed on you under the state and the local laws. In recent years, a number of jurisdictions have enacted special laws protecting domestic workers. So you also need to make sure that you're familiar with any laws specific to domestic workers that may apply. And these are laws that not everyone is familiar with if you're typically dealing with employment in a corporate context. But when you're talking about household staff, it's really important to know about the laws applicable to domestic workers. So that's sort of a threshold thing to be aware of. Um, but you asked me about the general categories or areas to be familiar with. Um, 
And in terms of things that you need to review for legal compliance, it's really important to be familiar with all of the requirements surrounding the new hire process. The new hire process is when you're bringing new employees on board, and it's actually one of the most important areas of employee management because you need to be very concerned about following certain procedural steps and complying with a number of laws. Another category that you really need to understand is the law surrounding human resources and best practices for management of the employment relationship. And this includes things like record keeping and maintenance of personnel files. It includes performing periodic employee performance reviews, writing up any employee disciplinary matters, and taking employee complaints seriously and performing an appropriate investigation when the circumstances require. A huge area that you need to be familiar with is payroll and compensation practices, and that includes laws governing minimum wage and overtime and laws governing wage payment and deductions from wages. And this is an area where I see a lot of household employers making mistakes and getting into trouble, and the liability can be extremely high for failure to follow the legally required payroll and compensation practices. So it's really important to do this correctly in order to protect your principal. Um, another big area where there's a lot to know is employee benefits, and another big one is employee terminations, which need to be handled very carefully in order to avoid significant risks and liabilities. So there are a lot of different areas where legal compliance is critical to protecting your principal. Uh, I would say that that is an extremely uh, long list of things that they need to be looking at, and if anyone is now thinking about jumping off the bus, as a private service professional, please stay on uh, on board with us here for the remainder of the show. And I'm sure that Rachel will be able to uh, help and assist you in any uh, needs that we need uh, to get you guys up to compliance. Um, obviously, Rachel, it's always a big concern. And, and some of our estate managers, they'll get help um, from their employer's family office or from the business HR departments that the principals are, are, are owning and operating. Um, but for someone who doesn't have those resources at their fingertips, what are the topics that they should be concerned with in order to develop a good set of HR standards? Well, it is a big list, Matt, and I'll be covering these topics in a lot more detail at the New York City Management Conference on April 23rd, so I hope that everyone can make it. Um, and I think it's great to develop HR standards and procedures. And in order to do that, you really need to be familiar with all of the requirements. And it can be very helpful to consult with an, an employment attorney to get those standards into place. One of the areas that I mentioned you need to be familiar with the requirements is new hire practices. And this includes things like the laws surrounding background checks and drug tests. It also includes new hire paperwork, including making sure that all of your new hires are given all of the legally required paperwork and that they properly complete and return all of the required forms and documents. And this also includes providing new hires with recommended documents, such as confidentiality agreements and other employer policies. You asked about developing a set of standards, and it's really a great idea to implement written employment policies and procedures to address many of the issues that come up in your household. There's no limit to the number of policies or the types of policies that an employer can put into place, but I'll mention some that I think are helpful for household employers. If you have employees who drive in the course of their job duties or who drive employer-provided cars or vehicles, I think it's really important to have an employee vehicle use policy that sets forth safety standards and other requirements that have to be followed if an employee is driving for work or driving an employer's vehicle even if not for work. 
if employees are given employer-issued credit cards, I think it's very important to have an employer credit card use policy in place that provides guidelines regarding the use of those credit cards as well as consequences for misuse of those credit cards. If an employer has employees who live in or who sleep over from time to time, it's important to have a sleeping time policy covering compensation arrangements for sleeping time. And this is an area where if you don't have a written agreement, you might wind up on the hook for paying employees for all of the time that they're sleeping. A big one that every employer should have is a written paid time off policy that very clearly spells out the mechanics of how paid time off works, including what types of paid time off are provided and what the rules are for each category of paid time off, including how time off is accrued, whether it carries over from year to year, whether it's paid out at the end of the year or on termination of employment. And in some jurisdictions, such as New York, an employer is legally required to have a written paid time off policy. I personally recommend that employers have an anti-discrimination and an anti-harassment policy. A policy governing timekeeping rules and overtime can be very important. I recommend a drug testing and a drug and alcohol use policy. And this is all just to name a few of the many types of policies that employers can have. I think it's a great idea to have written policies in place and to make sure those policies are legally compliant and are followed in practice. And this is an area where employers have really wide latitude in what policies they want to put into place. And it's really to your advantage to clearly document your policies in writing and take advantage of that ability. Other standards that you may want to think about are standards for record keeping. It's really important to develop standards for the legally required record keeping, as well as standards for documentation of employee performance problems and other workplace issues. And there should also be standards in place for regular employee performance reviews, which is really a best practice. Having a set of standards regarding compensation and payroll and benefits is really critical. And this is a huge area where there's a lot of legal requirements. And I'll be talking about this in a lot more detail at the GEMA Management Conference coming up on April 23rd. It's really important to have standards for all of your employee benefits, as well as standards governing employee terminations, which is an area where there's a lot of risk. Yeah. You know, Rachel, listening to you speak, uh, it, it's really no wonder to me what Matt was saying earlier about how that this is one of the biggest topics that comes back in the surveys when the association has a survey, because it, it really is a broad ranging set of topics that we really need to know about. And it's kind of interesting as I sit here and reflect on what you're saying because a lot of people who work in private service have oftentimes not had formal training in management or in uh, the areas of human resources and working with having employees. So I know a lot of the folks who I've worked with in private service have either not had an employee that they had to supervise and then got promoted to a position where they were now having to be somebody else's boss. And basically, that's what we're talking about here is how do you be basically a good boss and how it is that you would set up these standards. And, and you know, as we were just discussing this, I would be curious to know, you know, and we talked a little earlier in the week, maybe what are some of the, the resources that you could recommend for our listeners that are out there as we consider and develop our skills in this area? I know we can't cover all this today, but maybe just give us a list of some of the things that you would recommend for resources to to develop our skills in this area? 
Well, you can attend training programs and you can attend seminars like the DEMA Regional Management Conference taking place in New York City on April 23rd. I'll be speaking in more detail about all these topics, so that's one opportunity that you might have. Um, You can also utilize online resources. You can go to the websites for the U.S. Department of Labor and many state departments of labor and find a lot of fact sheets, frequently asked questions, and other information sheets and resources that can really be helpful. You can also subscribe to email lists to get alerts from attorneys like myself. My colleagues and I regularly draft articles and client alerts to keep our clients informed about new legal developments. And I also try to post links to my articles and information about recent legal developments on my Twitter feed. So you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Rachel M. Kurth, and you can see all my posts as they come out. But really, at the end of the day, I think that there's no substitute for consulting with an employment attorney. And this is one where I tell people when it comes to hiring an employment attorney, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, meaning that it will usually be much much more cost effective to hire a lawyer before you have an issue on your hands than waiting until you have a problem and then contacting counsel. And an employment attorney can advise you on whether your employment practices are legally compliant, and an employment attorney can help you to implement standards to make sure that everything is done correctly to avoid future disputes and liability. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you, uh, setting up standards and developing policies and like operating manuals and standard operating procedures for an organization, is that something that your firm uh, offers as a service to help people set up those kind of things? Absolutely, yeah. Um, you know, my firm and I think most employment attorneys can really help with setting up, you know, standard operating procedures, advising on best practices and putting manuals into place. You know, when it comes to human resources, it's really all about process. So you want to make sure that all of your employment practices are handled uniformly and in accordance with the law and best practices. And having employee manuals can really help to make sure that procedures are followed and help with continuity when there's a turnover in the person who's in charge of managing the household staff. So it's a great idea to have checklists and other manuals that provide guidelines on exactly what you should do when certain situations arise. For example, having a new hire checklist that sets forth all of the steps that should be taken each time a new worker is hired. And an employment attorney can help you with setting up checklists and other employment manuals and procedures to help ensure the proper administration of employment practices. Well, I definitely know that, um, you know, uh, operating manuals are are a huge uh, are a huge thing on the on the rise in the uh, private service sector. Um, I know that it's always been a very big area that a lot of private service professionals are are asked to work on by their principals because I think the principals at the end of the day I think they they understand um, that there are some employment laws that are in place now whether or not they understand how much of an impact they actually have um, on the employers that's a whole nother uh, that's a whole nother to- uh, topic so. What would you say are the biggest areas where employers make mistakes, Rachel? That's such a great question, Matt. Um, and, of course, in my line of work, you know, I do, you know, see where these mistakes get made. 
And probably the biggest mistake that I see employers getting into trouble for is not paying domestic workers overtime and not properly tracking and recording all of the hours worked by domestic workers. Not everyone knows this, but under federal law, domestic workers have to be paid at least the minimum wage for all hours that they work, and they have to be paid overtime pay at one and a half times the regular rate of pay for all hours worked over 40 hours in a work week, unless they're subject to an exemption. And the federal law may provide an exemption for live-in domestic workers, but state law may not. And as we talked about, you have to comply with both federal and applicable state law. So unless a domestic worker is exempt under both federal and state law, the domestic worker must be paid based on the hours that they actually work, including pay at the overtime rate for any overtime hours. And I frequently see employers who pay fixed salaries to their domestic workers and don't track their hours or pay overtime. And unfortunately, this is a huge mistake that can be very costly to the employer. And in general, I see a lot of employers making mistakes regarding payroll practices, including not knowing which hours domestic workers have to be paid for. Some people are surprised to learn that hours when an employee is not necessarily working but is required to be on the premises must be paid. And I also see a lot of employers mess up the compensation rules for sleeping time, travel time, and meal time. And this is an area where it's really important to document schedules, sleeping time arrangements, and other compensation arrangements and practices. And a lot of employers just don't do it. Well, um, I'll throw in one. Yeah. Oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No, I was just going to mention one other big mistake that I see employers making, and that is not having legally required insurance policies. You have to know what's required in your locality, but a lot of jurisdictions, including New York State, require an employer to have a valid workers' compensation insurance policy, and the penalty for not having a valid New York State workers' compensation policy is $2,000 for every 10 days that a policy is not in place, which can add up really quickly, and I've seen people have huge fines assessed against them for not having this policy. And one thing to note is that a workers' compensation rider to a homeowner's insurance policy is generally not sufficient to satisfy the New York State requirements, and I've seen that get household employers into trouble. All right. Well, I, I just learned a ton in that in that quick response that you just gave. Yeah, so um, sure. there, there, there's a lot of, uh, of very key points in there uh, from, you know, because I, I think that you're, that's a key, Rachel. Um, I, I did want to uh, break here for one second and, and just talk about that for one second. And that's so salary. If you put your employee on the salary, that doesn't necessarily mean that you don't have to pay overtime. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. So can we expand on that just for a couple minutes? I mean, obviously now is this only in the, in the state of New York or is that on a, is that on a national level? That is on a national level at the at the federal level for live out domestic workers. Okay, all right. So anyone who's who's got a sal who's working on a salary, um, they need to be made aware of that, or is that something that would be brought to the principal's attention by the employer, or um, well, by the employee, I should say. 
No, I mean, the principal is the employer, and the principal is the one who needs to be aware of the requirements. Um, you know, you can pay someone a salary that's intended to compensate for a certain number of hours, but unless there's an exemption in place that allows someone to be exempt from the overtime rules, um, you have to do that assessment to see whether someone is exempt or not. And if they're not exempt, and many domestic workers are not exempt, then you have to pay them overtime if they work over 40 hours in a work week, if they're live-out employees. Wow. So their right. salary can cover 40 hours, but you know, beyond the 40 hours, you, know, you have to actually track the hours worked. Okay. All right, cool. No, that I, I just wanted to I wanted to hit that point. I didn't want it to kind of you know get get glossed over, um, but I wanted to drive that point home that we I know we have a lot of private service professionals out there that are on salary um, to to in fact prevent that overtime pay. So it's definitely something that everyone needs to be aware of, and and we need to to definitely put that out there in the forefront. So um, I just wanted to point that out. Um, and Moving it may be the on. case that someone yeah. like an estate manager meets an exemption. There are certain federal exemptions for, um, for example, for executive employees who okay. supervise other workers and have the authority to hire and fire other employees or give suggestions and recommendations about that. Um, but if we're just talking about, you know, a laundress or a housekeeper, those would be non-exempt employees who are okay. entitled to overtime. Okay. Cool. So it might it might just come down to what your what your actual uh, duties are and responsibilities for the household. Exactly. It's a very fact specific determination where you need to do an analysis and you have to look at the applicable tests under the federal rules and any state rules that might apply, and determine for each worker whether or not they're exempt or non-exempt from the overtime rules. Okay. Cool. Awesome. Hey, listen, we've got some callers that are online, so I just want to let those uh, callers know if they do want to uh, interact with Rachel or they have a specific question that they would like to ask you. Um, all they have to do is press the number one on their phone. That'll notify our uh, soundboard that you have a question um, and uh, we'll get you on the air as quickly as we can. So once again, if you're calling into the show and you have questions, you can press the number one or you can text us uh, any questions you might have if you're listening uh, via computer or um iPad or something like that, uh, to 313-404-3998. With that being said, what are some of the changes that you're seeing, Rachel, uh, being put in place pertaining specifically to domestic workers? This has been a really exciting area. Historically, domestic workers had been excluded from the protections of many federal and state employment laws, but this has really started to change in recent years, and a number of jurisdictions have now passed special laws protecting domestic workers, and the protections vary depending on the jurisdiction. I can talk about New York, which is where I am. In 2010, the New York State Domestic Workers Bill of Rights went into effect, and it was the first law in the nation specifically protecting domestic workers. But since 2010, similar laws protecting domestic workers have been passed in California, Hawaii, Massachusetts, Oregon, and more may be on the way. And the domestic workers' laws really provide special protections. In New York, for example, the law specifically clarifies that all New York State domestic workers are entitled to overtime pay at one and a half times the regular rate of pay, and that applies to live-in and live-out employees. And the overtime kicks in after 40 hours for the live-out domestic workers and after 44 hours for the live-in domestic workers. 
New York State's Domestic Workers Bill of Rights also provides that domestic workers must get at least 24 consecutive hours off duty each week. Or if a domestic worker voluntarily agrees to work for seven consecutive days, then the domestic worker has to be paid at his or her overtime rate for all hours worked on that seventh day. Another thing that's pretty monumental is that the Domestic Workers' Bill of Rights was the first New York State law to mandate paid time off, and it provides that domestic workers must be given three paid days off per year after one year of work for the same employer. And also importantly, the New York Domestic Workers' Bill of Rights protects domestic workers from things like sexual advances and harassment based on protected traits such as gender, race, religion, or national origin. Yeah, that's great, Rachel. I think a lot of people may not even know that those laws exist, so I'm really glad you mentioned that. I thought maybe we could shift gears just a little bit. I know that one of the things that um, some of my colleagues have to deal with sometimes are disputes, either between employees one to another or disputes, disputes between employees and principals. And I just wondered if you had any thoughts on maybe how an estate manager or a manager would would handle disputes and resolution of disputes and that sort of issues? I think that when it comes to employee disputes, doing write-ups and documenting everything is really key. If there's any sort of incident with an employee or if you give an employee oral counseling or an oral warning, you want to make sure to write up a record of it and keep it in the employee's personnel file. If an employee complains of something like harassment, discrimination, or another workplace issue, you definitely want to take the complaint seriously, and that means immediately notifying employment counsel and working with counsel to promptly and thoroughly investigate and respond to the complaint as appropriate. This is really key to protecting your principal. And I'll also mention you have to be very careful not to retaliate against an employee who has made a complaint in good faith about a workplace issue. Um, you know, retaliation can be any adverse action against an employee who filed a complaint, such as, you know, changing their hours or job responsibilities to something less desirable, all the way up to terminating the employee. And retaliation can give rise to a separate claim and additional liability. So you want to be really careful there. That's really, uh, really good, good information there. And, uh, we wanted to obviously keep the show rolling, um, so with that being said, this is a live radio show, Rachel, so we're going to put you under fire. Are you ready? I think so. <laughs> All right. Well, here we go. This is the modern uh, advances of technology. So without further ado, I wanted to bring Roger from uh, New York, who's a private service professional, and uh, he's got a question for you. Roger, are you there? I am here. Thank you, Matt. Good afternoon, Hi, Roger. Rachel. How Thank are you? you. I'm good. Thank you for being here. Got a quick question for you. What uh, applies to principals who say we have staff who work in New York or Connecticut, but then travel with the family to a home, say in Colorado or Montana, and work for two weeks or up to two months and then come back? What, what are the responsibilities and requirements for the family as far as compensation for those employees? So there's different rules that apply. You know, there's rules, and and again, it'll depend on what state you're in and and what rules you're covered by, but there's rules about compensation for travel time. 
um, where, you know, to the extent that an employee has to, you know, be on an airplane, there's different rules for when you have to be compensated for that time and when you don't. The rules are fairly complicated. It might be a lot to get into the details on the show right now, but there are rules about it. But once you get to your destination, um, assuming that it's just a short trip for a week or so, sort of traveling on business, um, you know, usually the rules, the normal rules would apply sort of once you're past that in-transit phase, and then you would, you know, just keep timesheets. And, you know, when the employee is on duty or off duty or working, they'd still be paid based on their hours worked. Um, but, you know, you'd have to look into the rules for the jurisdictions that you're traveling to, and if there's a certain number of hours threshold where if you work a certain number of hours in that jurisdiction, you sort of get pulled into the rules in that jurisdiction. In New York City, there's um, 80 hours a year is sort of a threshold under some New York City laws where if an employee works more than 80 hours a year in New York City, um, you get covered by certain New York City rules. So you definitely have to be careful and be aware of it. Wow. Okay. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Hey, Roger, before yes, I let you uh, go back off the air here real quick, I'm just getting ready to give a plug for uh, for the conference that Rachel's going to be speaking at, the management conference, uh, April the 23rd from 9 to 5. Um, and it is going to be held at the World School in New York. Um, why don't you uh, – you want to give a little promotion to uh, – uh, to those that might be coming to uh, to New York City for that for that conference. Well, absolutely. I mean, it's going to be a great conference. Uh, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it, and I know all of the members of the New York Tri-State Chapter are looking forward to it. And uh, just encourage everyone to come. Uh, if you have any questions, please reach out to Dima, or you know, you can reach out to DJ or any of the other New York Tri-State Chapter board members. But uh, we're excited to have everyone here and are, and are really, really looking forward to it. It's going to be a great, great event. All right. Awesome. Well, thanks for, uh, for, for participating in the show, Roger. We'll put you uh, back onto the list, put your headphones back on, and uh, we will uh, talk to you here in about a week and a half, okay? Sounds great. Thank you, Matt. Right. Thank you, Rachel. Yep. Thank you, Roger. All right. All right, so in addition to Rachel presenting uh, on HR and payroll management, we'll be having presentations on global emergency medical management, art collection management, home automation management, and wardrobe care management, as well as a panel discussion uh, with some of the New York uh, chapter uh, estate managers doing a vendor management panel. So should be a, a great opportunity for learning, great opportunity for networking. If you would like to register, you can do so. There's uh, uh, still a week and a half before uh, before we have the event. So you can do so by going to demaconvention.com. Once again, that's D-E-M-A convention.com. And with that being said, Rachel, um, now you know this is a true radio show. There are people actually out there listening, right? <laughs> it's, it's very exciting. <laughs> All right, cool. So, Rachel, um, can you tell us how you first became involved with DEMA and, and what your, expre- your impressions and your experiences have been thus far? 
client of mine introduced me to the owner of a household staffing agency who invited me to a GEMA event, and so far my experience with GEMA has been wonderful. Um, I went to my first GEMA meeting, excited to meet new people, and I wound up running into PSPs who work for so many of my existing clients and who I already knew. So it really highlighted what a small world it is in the domestic management industry. And um, I also ran into Roger, who just called in there, um, who's the president of the New York Tri-State GEMA chapter and is doing such a fantastic job leading it. Um, and I actually, before being introduced to Dima, had known him from talking to him a number of years back about doing some work for his principal. So it just really made me feel like I found the right place. It's so interconnected. And it's also been really exciting that Dima is setting standards for best practices for the domestic service industry. And it's just great to have connected with an organization that's as invested in this as I am. Mm, that's great, Rachel. Uh, you know, I, I wanted to ask a quick question. One of the things that um, uh, we're very interested in and we've talked about on the radio show a number of times in the past is just uh, advances in some of the in- industries and some of the vendors that we've been interviewing. And I was just thinking about with regard to the HR process that there are a lot of uh, services now that offer to do your payroll and to take care of the HR aspect of a of a business like we run. Do you have any thoughts on the value of using an outside service for like payroll and some of those kind of things? I think it's a great idea, especially with respect to managing payroll. I think hiring an outside payroll provider can be really key to making sure that everything's done correctly and nothing slips through the cracks. Usually the way that works is that for a fee, which is often a very reasonable fee, a payroll processing company assists with performing a lot of the payroll and reporting requirements under federal and state law. And I've seen clients just have a ton of success with it. It can really reduce administrative burdens, ensure that payroll and reporting is done properly, and can really be a great investment. And also even using an outside HR service or what's called a professional employer organization or PEO, that can also be a great way to reduce administrative burdens and ensure that things are handled in compliance with the law and to protect the employer. And it can be a great way to get access to employee benefits that a small employer might not otherwise have access to, such as high-quality medical, dental, and vision insurance plans and 401k plans. Um, But the one caution I'll give you is that before you hire any outside service provider for these purposes, you definitely want to make sure that they're reputable and that they are doing things in compliance with the law. So it's important to thoroughly vet them before you sign a contract. I've seen clients have great experiences with some of these outside service providers, but terrible experiences with others. So as part of your vetting process, you'll want to request quotes and proposals from several service providers. You can compare them. And I definitely recommend requesting references from existing clients to get some feedback on client experiences with the providers. And it's a great idea to run the proposals by your employment attorney and get their thoughts because they might suggest questions to ask to ensure that the service provider really understands all the legal requirements. Right, right. One of the things that I know that we uh, are always very interested in is the area of security and privacy for our principals. And we haven't really talked much about confidentiality agreements or background checks or drug testing or anything like that. Could you share with us maybe your thoughts on, on some of the security or privacy issues that, that you deal with and that we, we should be aware of? Absolutely. And there's a lot to be aware of in this area. Um, Regarding background checks and drug tests, when you perform one or the other, you have to comply again with all the federal, state, and local legal requirements, of which there are many. 
And state and local law may actually severely restrict what an employer is legally allowed to do. In the past few years, this has been sort of a hot topic, and there's been a lot of laws passed at the state and local level that limits what employers can do with credit checks and criminal history checks. Um, there's these laws called ban-the-box laws that are called ban-the-box laws because they prohibit things like having a box on a job application form to be checked if an applicant has a criminal history. And generally, they prohibit employers from making certain inquiries about criminal history during the job application process. New York City has a ban-the-box law that went into effect last fall. There's similar laws in place in many other areas. And there's also a lot of new laws prohibiting employers from running credit checks in many circumstances. New York City also has a law banning credit checks that went into effect last fall. And again, similar laws are in place in many areas. So there's an, this is an area where you want to be very careful to comply with the law, but you also try to do what you can to protect your principles and their need for security to the maximum extent that the law permits. And the other huge one for a principal security is having a strong confidentiality agreement. I think that every principal should have a strong confidentiality agreement in place for all household staff. And in many cases, a confidentiality agreement specifically for vendors and other personnel who come in and out of the residence or work on the property, and I'm calling it a confidentiality agreement, but what I prepare for my clients is really much broader. It includes protections for confidentiality both during and after employment, but it also includes many other protections for the principal. For example, in this day and age, it's really important to include prohibitions against recording audio or video of the family or unauthorized photographs of the family or the home. And it's also really important to have clear restrictions about the use of social media or the Internet. As you all know, domestic staff get exposed to a lot of private aspects of the employer's personal and family life. So there's really quite mm -hmm. a few protections you want to make sure you have covered by a contract. Um, so I make sure that the agreements for my clients cover, you know, the ability of employees and former employees that they can't make statements to third parties, including the media or posting anything on the Internet. And I always include non-disparagement protections, requirements for the return of property. And as I mentioned, to protect the principal security, these agreements should be in place for all domestic workers. But it might make sense to also have agreements for vendors and other personnel who are coming in and out of the home or working on the property. And these can be very tailored to the client's needs. You, you know what I think is really funny about what, what we're talking about here, Rachel, is I just got an email yesterday, and it was um, – it was something to the regards of exactly that, the confidentiality that has to be exhibited. I, I say has to. It's almost a must-be exhibited by private service professionals who work in this industry. Um, as I'm sure you're well aware of, there's a lot of tell-all books that have come out recently. Um, and it That's seems exactly to be the, what we want to prevent. <laughs> it seems to be the new hot-going trend. And, uh, you know, I just I wanted to throw out there that, you know, we're not someone – our association is not uh, a group of people that require to tell us who you work for, you know, what their specific likes and wants are. Um, you know, that's that's something that is that, that's between the employee and, and the principal. And that's where it should always stay, even after that that uh, that employer or that employee has left the home. And no matter how long after that should always remain private. So I, I just wanted to throw that out there that that's kind of our view and philosophy about this private service industry that, you know, um, it, it's, it's interesting to read some of the books. I think from a private service standpoint, it's good to see maybe sometimes how uh, others 
maybe handle those situations. But in the long run, it doesn't do anything but damage the overall industry itself because, you know, no one's protecting that confidentiality. Absolutely. Well, listen, we've got about three minutes. Um, before we go, I know that um, I know that in a week and a half, as DJ uh, uh, let me know, uh, <laughs> we're gonna be uh, we're gonna be all coming together in New York, and people are gonna get an opportunity to hear you speak. Can you give everyone that is not gonna be able to make it um, your contact information in case they have questions? Because you have attorneys uh, throughout the uh, not only throughout the country but throughout the globe, correct? That is correct. All right. So if you can give us that contact information, that would be great. Sure. So uh, my contact information, if you want to reach me by telephone, my number is 212-408-5185. You can email me at rkurth at chadborn.com. That's C-H-A-D-B-O-U-R-N-E.com. And it's also really easy to Google me. If you type Rachel Kurth into Google, my Chadborn attorney page should be the first result, and it has all of this contact information listed right on the web page. Excellent. Excellent. Well, we, uh, we're out of time, believe it or not, already on this edition of DEMA Live. We'd like to thank you, Rachel, uh, and uh, all of our listeners that participated on today's show. Um, DJ, as always, I'd like to thank you for joining me today. I think that you bring so many relevant questions and such a unique perspective to the show. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate having you on the show with me um, and appreciate that. So I'll Seeing, uh, I'll be seeing you in New York, both of you, in 10 days or so. Um, if you have any further questions regarding how you can become more involved in your local chapter of DEMA or you have questions about the private service industry, please feel free to contact us at info at domesticmanagers.com. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or you have suggestions for a potential topic or guest that you would like us to interview, please do not hesitate to contact us at that same email address, which is info at domesticmanagers.com. We look forward to seeing everyone at the regional conference in New York on April the 23rd. You can register for that conference by going to demaconvention.com. Also, be sure to mark your calendars for this year's national convention in Scottsdale, Arizona, August 26th through the 28th. Um, we are excited to announce that we will be doing our first ever DEMA live radio show from London. Uh, on the 27th, um, and uh, we're, we're looking to uh, have a, a special guest for you guys. Until then, I have been your host, Matthew Hack, and on behalf of all my colleagues and staff, thank you for allowing us to continue to serve those that serve others.